0: Could you please open your Bible to uh, Revelation chapter 13. <clears throat> Have you ever been uh, deceived by a counterfeit? You know, Something seemed to be the real deal uh, but really it was a fake. Uh, perhaps you purchased a well-known brand online uh, but it turned out to be a cheap Imitation, it wasn't Gucci or Louis Vuitton after all. It's just something from Kmart, you got ripped off. Or maybe you've had some jewelry, you assumed it was genuine, but you were greatly disappointed when it was valued, and it turns out it was a counterfeit. You know, there have been many well publicized Ponzi schemes. People have invested their life savings into what seems to be a great investment. It seems legitimate, there's letterheads, there's bank statements, there's initial profits, but then the shocking realization smashes through your front door that it's a counterfeit and your money is gone. Now counterfeit currency from what I read has been a problem ever since we've had currency and there are recorded instances from 400 BC where Greek coins were commonly counterfeited by covering a less valuable metal with a layer of precious metal. It's quite deceitful. And apparently the greatest counterfeiter of history is Frank Barassa, I don't know if I said his name right. And he was responsible for over 250 million dollars of fake US currency. And it's interesting that after he was arrested and served his sentence, he now ironically helps police catch counterfeiters. But imagine that, $250 million of fake currency. But the first ever counterfeiter is Satan. And he seeks to counterfeit God. And deception is his greatest weapon. And he continues to work in this industry. He is the grand master counterfeiter. And in Revelation chapter 13, this documents one of his greatest Counterfeiting endeavors. Satan was introduced in Revelation chapter 12. He was identified as the dragon. And here in Revelation 13, we're introduced to two more charming characters: the beast and the prophet. They are the servants of Satan, and really they form what is a counterfeit trinity. Okay, the dragon is the anti-father, the beast is the antichrist and the prophet is the anti spirit we could call them the unholy trinity and in revelation chapter 13 satan is endeavoring to set up his own kingdom on earth again he's copying god so satan is trying to prevent jesus christ from setting up his earthly kingdom by setting up his own kingdom under the beast who is a counterfeit Christ. And what this chapter records is a prophetic glimpse into Satan's endeavor to counterfeit the earthly reign of Jesus Christ through his servant, the beast. Here okay, the beast is the main character in this chapter. If I've counted right, beast occurs 16 times in Revelation 13. This term beast is indicative of his ferocious nature, but don't be deceived. This individual will be very gifted, highly intelligent, charismatic, powerful, influential, persuasive. He will be the leader that the world craves, the one who promises so much in chaotic times. Now this one, identified as the beast, is known by other names throughout the Bible. He's actually spoken of in detail in, Gen, in Daniel chapter 7, and in fact there's much correlation from Daniel 7 and our text. But the name that this individual is most well known by is Antichrist. But what's interesting is that this term doesn't occur in the book of Revelation, it's only found in First John. But there are very good reasons as to why this name has stuck. And if you read a theology book, he'll be referred to as the Antichrist. If you read okay, Things to Come by Pentecost, wonderful book, he's referred to as the Antichrist. And here's the reason why. Okay, I just need to use some Greek just for a moment, so I hope that's okay. The Greek preposition anti, okay, so we've got Antichrist. christ okay, When it's paired with Christ to form this term, It means one who is against Christ and it also means one who is in the place of Christ and both are true. So he is at war against Christ even as he attempts to replace the one and only Christ and this is why Antichrist is the most familiar name because it encapsulates his function and his purpose. So he is the satanic agent entrusted to overthrow and replace the Lord Jesus Christ. And Revelation chapter 13 records their grand attempt. And how I'd like to approach our study of this grand counterfeiting heist is by considering what this text has to teach us about the devil. Because even right now, Satan is our enemy. It's important for us to understand him. And that will better equip us to not fall into his counterfeiting schemes, understanding that his counterfeiting schemes take many different shapes and forms. Okay, So this will be the big idea of our sermon, to enlighten us of the schemes and strategies of Satan that he unleashes through varying antichrists along with his driving motivations. But before we consider these five specific things that the text teaches us about Satan, we need a quick character profile of the Antichrist. Okay, this is the one who takes center stage as the weapon of the wicked one. So the Antichrist is a man empowered by Satan. He's a demon-possessed man, maybe even a Satan-possessed man. I want to say up front, it's pointless to try and identify this individual. Many have tried and they have looked very foolish. So the wisdom is, don't even try. So the Antichrist will rise to power during the reign of the tribulation period. He will be the world leader that everyone craves amongst the chaos. Initially, he will be at peace with Israel. That's in the first three and a half years before breaking the treaty. And his main work will be done in the second half of the tribulation. Now, it's important to identify that Antichrist will be part of a future world government. So he will lead the last dominant empire. And this comes out in his character bio in verses 1 and 2. In John's vision, we're told that the beast rises out of the sea and is described as having seven heads And ten horns. And this same description was given to the dragon in the previous chapter. The seven heads seem to represent seven world empires. So Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo Persia, Greece, Rome, and Antichrist's final world kingdom. And the ten horns seem to refer to the number of kings who will make up the world governments with Antichrist as the leader whereas the crown denotes authority, power, and victory. And then verse 2 continues, and it gives quite an interesting description. It includes a leopard, a bear, and a lion. And this description is also found in Daniel chapter 7. And there it speaks of conquering empires. And the point here being that the Antichrist becomes the leader of this empire, and this particular empire combines all three elements of these previously powerful empires. Okay, so when we think of the beast, okay, yes, he's an individual. He's a real man, but he's also a head of this empire. Okay, He is the leader. So let's put all of this together. In the chaotic times of confusion, uncertainty, and unrest that will prevail during the tribulation. The world will long for a leader. People will be desperately hoping for someone powerful and influential to unite the divided. Someone to bring hope in the midst of helplessness. Someone to provide a sense of security in this time of fear. People will desperately seek a strong, charismatic, authoritative leader To pull the world back from the brink of disaster. And these longings will be fulfilled by this beast, Satan's greatest counterfeit. So having been introduced to the Antichrist and seeing how he will be the leader of this empire with other kings, let's unpack his counterfeit rule and see what it teaches us about the schemes and strategies of Satan, along with his driving motivations. Okay, five things this teaches us about Satan. Number one, Satan hates God. Okay, We're all motivated by something. And Satan is motivated by hatred for God. And everything that he does, everything that he attempts, is about attacking or harming God. Satan was created a powerful being, a beautiful angel. But he wanted more. He was envious. He was filled with pride. He wanted to be treated like God. He wanted to be God. And this resulted in his banishment from heaven. And now he's consumed with this deep-seated rage against the Lord. And this grand counterfeit plan, spearheaded by the Antichrist, is fueled by hatred for God. Okay, so understand what we read here, it's not some friendly rivalry, but rather the devil possesses this all-consuming, ferocious anger, and he's vindictive towards the Lord. Okay, and this is very clear in our text. The Antichrist is all about blaspheming God. Okay, this seems to be his favorite hobby. Notice verse 1, it says, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Verse 5, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And then verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Okay, blaspheming the name of God is to demean it directly or to appropriate it for oneself. Okay, so there's those two elements. So it's evil speaking, it's slander, it's demeaning and degrading God. Okay, so the Antichrist will tear down the Lord. That's one aspect. But he'll also seek to put himself in the Lord's place. So he, he will look to make God the enemy and himself the hero. He will endeavor to degrade God in such a way. That it seems logical for him to become the God replacement. And you can imagine him rallying the people. Okay, look at all these horrible things around us. Okay, This is God's fault. This is what he has done. Look at what he's done to you. He hasn't helped you. He's not worth following. Why don't you follow me? I've got so much more to offer you. I'm the better option. Now, when verse 1 says, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy, the original readers' minds would have instantly gone to Roman emperors. Okay, that they applied divine titles to themselves. They were often regarded as gods. And this is what Antichrist will be like, but on an even greater scale. And as the servant of Satan, okay, he will be on a hate-fueled rampage against god and he's going to set himself up as the replacement so this world leader will be characterized by boasting and blasphemy and we need to understand that okay this is not happening just here or there it's not like he does this once or twice but rather the verb tense in verse six tells us that the whole career of the beast will be characterized in such a way okay blasphemy it is not an incidental feature of the beast kingdom, but it's one of its continuing characteristics. And according to verse 6, the blasphemy extends to the angels and even the saints in heaven. So he unleashes an all-out assault on God and anyone who associates with God. Now this arrogance and blasphemy of the Antichrist was predicted in the book of Daniel. Okay, chapter 7 verse 25, chapter 11 verse 36. And this arrogance, this blasphemy, it will surpass anyone else of human history. Think about that. There have been some pretty wicked characters throughout history. That there have been many arrows of hate fired at the Lord, but the Antichrist, the servant of Satan, he will surpass everyone else. And he will unleash his master's fury against God. He will be the supreme blasphemer in a world filled with blasphemy. And this reveals to us what Satan is like, remembering Antichrist is a servant of Satan. Satan hates God. He will do anything to defame the throne or destroy him. And this tribulation period under the rule of this satanic representative will be his one last attempt to bring a death blow to God's purposes. Okay, this is his final hate and attack. Satan hates God. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is that Satan is fearsome and powerful. When it comes to Satan, there are many who have varying extreme views that are quite unhelpful. Some view Satan as being equal with God, Okay, so so they think that Satan and God, they're equally matched rivals in this fierce battle that's evenly matched and it won't be decided until the penalty shootout. Okay, that's not true. Satan is an ant in God's presence. Satan is on a leash and he can't release himself from it. Okay, so that's one extreme to avoid. But we must also be aware of the view that thinks Satan is some cute and cuddly tazzy devil from looney tunes he's not like that satan is fearsome satan is powerful he's ferocious we ought not to trivialize him and this comes out very clearly in the work of the antichrist notice in verse 2 okay, the final phrase it's the dragon or it is satan who is the power source behind the antichrist he gave him his power He gave him his seat or his throne and his authority. And this is confirmed in verse 4. The dragon gave power unto the beast. So Satan is a powerful angelic being with much ability. And he will invest all his resources, all of his ability into the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will use all of this in his campaign to establish an earthly kingdom. He will use all necessary means to establish worldwide dominance, okay, whether it's deception or skillful oratory, absolute authority and brutality, or any other necessary device. Okay, all of Satan's tricks will be on display and it will be incredibly effective. For verse 7 tells us that power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. He will successfully conquer. The world as he leads this empire so that the dream of countless rulers in the past of conquering the entire world here is finally achieved okay? and the multitudes will be drawn to the antichrist like a powerful magnet okay why well it's because he's infused by wicked power his power makes him captivating and appealing notice in verse 4 the people declare "Who is like unto the beast Who is able to make war with him? So so in other words, the the people are struck by his power. They're struck by his authority. Who's like him and his incomparability? And there's one particular moment that's crucial in drawing in the people. And this is presented as a spectacular display of power. Notice verse 3. It speaks of a deadly wound being healed. And there are varying opinions on how to interpret this particular phrase. Many view it as speaking of the, the world empire rather than the Antichrist as an individual. And that could be possible. This could be speaking of the reviving of the Roman world empire. But it's interesting that the grammar that's used in this verse, particularly the personal pronoun, I think seems to favor the view that this is speaking of the Antichrist himself. And I believe verse 12 fits with that view better. Now, it could be both okay, meshed together uh, in one. That's also a possibility. Okay, but the Antichrist, he will receive some deadly blow, but he will be miraculously healed. And I would argue that this is another counterfeit. Okay, remember this whole thing. This is about counterfeiting God. Okay, what did Jesus do? Jesus died, and he rose again. And this is the devil's attempt to copy it so in other words anything that you can do i can do better now whether he will die or whether this is one big deception i'm not as sure okay or that this could be that god allows this to happen because the bible doesn't indicate that satan has this power himself Okay, I don't think Satan has the ability to to raise someone back to life. So it seems that this is one big deception or God allows it to happen for his purposes. But it's this apparent resurrection that resulted in the crowds clinging to the beast. Okay, this is a key moment. This is a key event. This gives him the momentum to conquer the world using any necessary means. Okay, and this reminds us that Satan, our, our enemy, He's a powerful being. Okay, he's not all-powerful. He is not even close to God's league and yet he needs to be taken seriously. He's more than capable of causing great damage. He's more than capable of getting great multitudes to follow him and he's much stronger and more powerful than any man. And this is vividly illustrated by the Antichrist. So, this is the second thing that we learn. The third thing we learn is that Satan wants to be worshipped like God. Satan wants to be worshipped like God. The thing that startled me as I began to study this portion of Scripture earlier in the week was the fact that the vast majority worships Antichrist. And what struck me particularly was that when the real Christ was here, so few worshipped him. And yet so few refuses to worship the Antichrist. And isn't that a real indictment on mankind? Okay, this illustrates our depravity and wickedness, that the real deal is rejected by the majority, but the counterfeits is embraced and adored by the majority. Okay, notice the theme of worship that runs throughout this text. Okay, verse 3, And the whole world wondered, or, or they marveled after the beast. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast. And then verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Now think about that for a moment. Widespread awe and adoration. Everyone who was not a genuine believer. Okay, Genuine believers are identified in verse 8. Okay, that, that's what characterizes. If your name's written in the book of life, you're a genuine believer. But those who are unbelievers, they will worship the Antichrist. All of them will worship the Antichrist. Okay, that's staggering. Because think about all of the religions in the world: Muslim, Buddhism, Hindu. Think about the atheists, think about the agnostics, and yet there is this almost universal worship of one individual. That's astonishing. that that such agreement is found. Okay, how how is this possible? How does this happen? Well, it actually happens because God sends a strong delusion. People have rejected the real Christ, so God gives them their wish. It's not always a good thing when God grants you your wish. And He ensures that they embrace the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe lie and my friend what a tragic scene that the majority will pursue the antichrist they see him as the answer okay that they see him as the winner and they worship him understand this is satan worship what this includes we cannot be sure it could be something similar to the roman empire where people would burn a pinch of salt before a statue of caesar and say caesar is lord It could be something like that. I believe he will set himself up as the object of worship in the temple. And this this is the final apostasy, that the wicked one is worshipped. And what brought about a lot of this worship was the power and authority of the Antichrist. It seems that his counterfeit death and resurrection was a key catalyst. And people start to proclaim who is like the beast. I want you to think about that phrase, who is like the beast? If you know your Bible, it seems likely that they're mocking the Bible. Think about the Old Testament. Often it says, who is like the Lord? And here they're saying, who is like the beast? So this prophecy anticipates the almost universal success that the beast will have in attracting worshippers. And here's the thing, worship has always been what Satan has craved. He wants to be like God, Isaiah 14, 14. Satan desires to be worshipped and treated like God. He always has, and he always will. And in the tribulation, he will get what he craves, at least for a short period of time. He will get what he asked of Jesus in the temptation. People will fall down and worship him. This will be the world's religion in the time of tribulation. Satan will get his worship hit. But there will be a small remnant that refuses his worship. And this leads into the fourth thing that we learn about Satan. He hates followers of God. Okay, Satan hates followers of God. it's difficult to determine when Satan rebelled against God. When was he booted out of heaven? Some believe that the creation of mankind was the catalyst, and that could well be true. But even if it's not, Satan has always hated mankind, particularly those who follow God. And that becomes very clear in the tribulation period under the leadership of Antichrist. This will be the hardest time in history to follow the Lord. And there has been some very hard times already. There are some very hard times right now. Imagine being a Christian in North Korea right now. And yet the tribulation is going to be even more difficult. The Antichrist personally goes after followers of God. He wants to destroy them. He goes to war against the followers of Christ. This is one of his main missions because this is a key part to establishing his kingdom. It's like any dictator. Get rid of those who stand against you. Notice verse seven. It says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. He'll make war with the saints. Why? Because they refuse to worship him. And those who refuse become public enemy number one, okay? That they are in the crosshairs of the Antichrist and he will overcome them. Now, it's important to say that this term overcome, it doesn't mean that he will overcome their faith, but rather he will destroy their physical lives, okay? He will make it impossible for them to live and function and he will kill all that he can. And he's fueled by his master's consuming hatred of the followers of God. And hence, this will be an incredibly difficult time to live. Now, it's interesting that there's a word for the Lord's followers in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, If any man have an ear, let him hear. Okay, hopefully you can remember that we've seen that phrase previously in the book of Revelation. Except it's interesting that this time there's no mention of the church, which is further evidence that the church will be removed at this point. But the Lord has a message for those who are following Christ in the tribulation. He has a message for those who are facing intense persecution under the rule of Antichrist. Notice verse 10. It says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Okay, this word from the Lord is understood in two different ways. The first interpretation is that this is speaking of divine retribution. So it's a promise that God will repay. Yes, many will be harmed. Yes, many will be killed by the Lord. But the Lord, Jehovah, he will mete out retribution. So this could be an encouragement to those who are suffering. The second way to understand this verse is that it's presented as a proverb. And it encourages the saints to submit to divine providence. Okay, the idea being, okay, don't take up the sword. Okay, that this persecution is inevitable. You can expect to be captured and imprisoned. Your earthly destiny could well be slaughter. However, endure. Remain faithful. Accept the providence from the hand of God, and don't take things into your own hand. Okay, that's the second way to understand this verse. But what is clear is that it will be very costly to follow Christ. And that is because hate Satan, sorry, hates the followers of Christ. That's very evident in the tribulation period. And understand that's true even now. Okay, understand if you're a Christian, Satan hates you. And he's out to harm you in any way that he can. Okay, so that's the fourth thing that we learn about the wicked one. Now, the fifth thing and the most important is that Satan is inferior to God and he's under his control. Satan wants to be like God. Satan thinks he is God. But truth be told, he's not even close. And that's made very clear in our text. Okay, when Satan's final attempt to acquire worldwide worship and supremacy for himself fails, okay, the, the, this whole attempt was under God's control. Okay, so, so even here, when it appears that he's been so successful, this is still under God's control. And, and this rule, this reign, it won't go for a moment longer than God allows. So when you think of Satan, Satan's like a dog on a chain. He can only go as far as the chain allows and that's determined by the Lord. And this is so important for us to grasp. God and Satan are not equals, okay? They're not. Satan is a created being. Okay, Satan is inferior to God in every way, and he is under God's sovereign control, just like the rest of creation. Okay, I want you to notice in the text okay, that this is Satan's greatest moments, that the Antichrist has united the world. He, he has them under his control. Okay, the whole world is under his spell. It seems like he's winning. It seems like the cause of God is being extinguished. The satanic dictator has absolute authority and dominion. The wicked one is being worshipped. It seems as though the counterfeit kingdom under the counterfeit Christ has been successful. Satan is finally getting what he's always craved. It seems like he's getting supremacy over God. But here's the ultimate irony. This only happens because God allows it to happen. He only experiences this success because it's part of God's plan. And when God says that's enough, it ceases just as quick as it started. Notice in verse five. Okay, this is such an important phrase that this whole text. It seems so miserable. It seems like the bad guy is going to win. It looks like Satan will reign victorious, but verse 5 says, And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Okay, underline that phrase. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Okay, so the power will be given to him. That means it's been granted by God. So the Antichrist will only be successful because it was permitted by the Lord. There's the ultimate irony. Okay, he thinks he's replacing God, but really he can only have success because the Lord allows it. Because that's part of his overall plan and purposes. Okay, this wicked, counterfeit trinity is under the thumb of the one and only trinity. And verse 5 is very clear that the events recorded in this chapter, which are some of the darkest days of history for the followers of God, they will only continue for a predetermined period of time and they cannot last for a moment longer. that okay? They cannot go longer than God allows. Okay? This counterfeit kingdom with the counterfeit Christ will only continue for the time that God has determined and they are completely powerless to make it last one second longer. The Antichrist, blasphemies, and reign of terror, it will not last indefinitely. It will not be an eternal reign. They have a use-by date as determined by the ruler of the universe. And this counterfeit kingdom, with its counterfeit king, will be conquered. Who will it be conquered by? Well, it will be conquered by the one and only king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will return. He will overthrow this counterfeit kingdom and he will establish his kingdom, the true kingdom. And he will completely destroy this counterfeit kingdom and all those involved in it. So Satan and the Antichrist are the ultimate frauds. They can only do what the Lord allows them to do. They are not and never will be on the same level as God's. They fall drastically short in every single way. And they should never be regarded as God's equals. They are on a divine leash and can do nothing except the Lord allows us. And my friend, that's a wonderful reassurance. That's true in every sphere of life. So what is there for you and I to learn from this counterfeit kingdom ruled by a counterfeit Christ. Okay, this is all in the future. If you're a Christian, you won't be there. So, how does this help us in the here and now? Okay, well, here's the thing. In in 1 John, where the Antichrist is mentioned by name, okay, in chapter 2 and verse 18, John says, even now there are many Antichrists. Okay, so, so there is one capital A Antichrist, but there are many Antichrists. The spirit of Antichrist is pervasive. Okay, there are many counterfeits that Satan unleashes to ensnare mankind. Now, remember what Satan is like. Okay, he's powerful, he's fearsome, he hates God, and he hates mankind. So he's out to snare people in these Antichrist traps. And this is true in two very broad ways. And this is how the text applies to our lives. So, number one, to, to the unsaved, Satan has many counterfeits that he has deceitfully unleashed when it comes to how one can be made right with God. Okay, there's the counterfeit of atheism that there's no such thing as God, you've got nothing to be worried about. There's the counterfeit of agnosticism. Okay, you cannot be sure about God. Okay, there's no way you can be certain, so, so it's okay. There's the counterfeit of works righteousness. Well, I can be good enough to get myself to heaven. Then there's the counterfeit of universalism. Well, all are automatically going to heaven. Then there's the counterfeit of religious inclusivity that says that there are countless ways to God. Okay, Brendan, you've got your way, I've got my way. It's it's Okay. And there's the counterfeit of self-righteousness that says, I don't need a savior because I'm not a sinner. Why does Jesus have to die for my sin? Oh, you know, I'm not a sinner. And we could go on and on. So Satan has a plethora of counterfeits that he has unleashed throughout history. And please understand this. All of these counterfeits are designed to drag mankind to hell with the devil. Okay, that's his goal. Understand hell is created for Satan. And he has unleashed all of these counterfeits because he wants to take men and women with him. And he has done a wonderful job to cause all kinds of confusion and delusion. My friend, don't be deceived by these satanic counterfeits because the Bible tells us there is one way to be made right with God. That there is one way to enter heaven. That there is only one way for your sin to be dealt with. For you to experience forgiveness. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Okay, Because on the cross, Jesus took your sin upon himself. Jesus was the substitute and God punished him for your sin. And he died. But he rose again on the third day. And now it's possible for you to be made right with God. You can experience salvation from sin. You can experience complete forgiveness. All of your sin, past, present, and future can be forgiven. If you will acknowledge that you're a sinner. Yes, Lord, I've sinned against you. And you turn from your sin, believing that Jesus Christ is God. And that he died and rose again in your place. Then you will be saved you'll be made right with God, you will receive a ticket to heaven. But this is the only way. There's only one way. Every other way is a satanic counterfeit. And he's seeking to blind you. He's he's seeking to confuse you so that he can take you to hell with him. My, My friend, please wake up to these satanic counterfeits. And come to the Lord Jesus Christ because it's only in him that you can experience salvation every other proposed way is a satanic counterfeit and it will send you to hell so that's the first way this applies to the unsaved now secondly to the saved for those of us here tonight who are Christians by God's grace we are no longer ensnared in Satan's salvific counterfeits. Praise the Lord. But we are susceptible and we are vulnerable to pursuing so many of his other counterfeits. Remembering anything that goes against God and his word is a satanic counterfeit. And remember, Satan hates us as believers. He doesn't want us to thrive. He doesn't want us to accomplish good for God's kingdom. He wants to harm us. He wants to destroy us in any way that he can. He can't destroy us eternally. We're safe in the hands of God. That is true. And yet he's trying to make our impact here as little as possible. Okay? And what he does is he tries to get Christians to succumb to his counterfeits. Okay, What are some examples? Okay, well, Jesus says, we're to live a holy life. Okay, the, the New Testament tells us, as Christians, we are to live a life that is separate and distinct from the world. Be ye holy, for I am holy." 1 Peter 1:16. 1, that's a command. that's not an optional extra. That's the divine plan for all Christians. And yet so often, Christians embrace the Satanic counterfeits. Christians embrace the world. We, we look no different we act the same, we talk the same, we dress the same, we listen to the same music, we watch the same shows, we drink the same booze, we we just drip with worldliness and we lack distinction. Understand, that's living a satanic counterfeit. That is anti-Jesus. In the realm of sexuality, so many have embraced the satanic counterfeits, get engrossed in pornography, premarital sex, extramarital sex, pushing all the boundaries, using others to meet our selfish needs, feeling as though, hey, I can express my sexuality in any way that I please. That's a satanic counterfeit. That is anti-Jesus. Many believers are hooked on materialism. Okay, what what drives them? Well, hey, I, I need the bigger house. I need the investment property. I I need the fancier car. I need the latest and greatest technology. I I need more money. It's all about money. It's all about stuff. This is the the, the driving factor in people's lives. My friend, that's living a satanic counterfeit. Again, that's anti-Jesus. You know, one feels like they don't need to forgive. One thinks they don't need to stop gossiping. It doesn't matter if I mistreat my spouse or my kids. It doesn't matter if I regularly skip church. It doesn't matter if I date an unsaved person. It doesn't matter how I dress. Okay, these are many things that are embracing a satanic counterfeit. Okay, these things are anti-Jesus. And please get this point these things and other things, they look appealing. If they didn't look appealing, there wouldn't be a temptation to us. And often these things, they will bring you some pleasure. They will bring you some joy initially. But this is what you need to remember. These are counterfeits. They come from Satan. Remember who he is. Remember what he's like. He hates God and he hates you and Satan wants to destroy you in any way that he can so all of his counterfeits they are not for your good okay that they won't bring good into your life but rather they're unleashed to ensnare you that they're unleashed to, to trap you and to harm you but the way of Jesus my friend that that's always good And he wants what is best for you. That's why he died on the cross for you. Satan didn't die for you. Okay, Jesus wants what's best for you. And what is best for you is recorded in the Bible. Okay, it's recorded in the Bible. That's God's way. And my friend, may we all be aware of the varying satanic counterfeits all around us. We we have one of his greatest attempts recorded in our text. But may we be alert and aware of his counterfeits that we come face to face with every single day. And may you and I, as believers, cling to the true Christ because Jesus is the real deal. He's not a counterfeit, He's not a fake. And there's a day coming when He will return. Jesus is coming back. And he will completely conquer Satan and the Antichrist in the future. Satan will be defeated. But understand, even right now, okay, in the presence with Jesus, with the enabling of his spirit, you and I we don't need to succumb to the antichrist all around us. We, we, We don't need to embrace the counterfeits, they can be rejected. And why would you embrace these counterfeits when you can embrace the one and only Christ? My friend, Jesus, Jesus and his ways are far better than anything that can be offered by the many satanic counterfeits that are all around us. Jesus and his way is always the best way. It's better than anything that the world, the flesh, or the devil has to offer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that you've revealed to us what's going to happen in the future. Uh, But thank you that we can see uh, how relevant it is even in the here and now. Uh, Lord, I do pray that uh, if there's people here tonight uh, embracing uh, these satanic counterfeits, uh, if it's an unsaved folk, I do pray right now you'd be working in their heart. the Holy Spirit would be convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, may they seek someone out to talk about these things further. And for those of us who are Christians, if there's something in, in our life that we're clinging to, Lord, help us to let go of that tonight. And by your grace, make the necessary changes. We ask this in Jesus' name.